talk about AI and specifically uh, around content publishing. There's those crazy algorithms now that you can give it like a sentence and a closing and it'll write a thousand words in between and it'll be on point. You're like, I couldn't have written this any better. Welcome to the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, I interviewed Joshua Strebel. He's the CEO and founder of Pagely, and he's one of the first companies that started doing managed WordPress hosting. He's now working on a new solution called Norstack, which is a serverless solution. And in this episode, we discuss DevOps, cloud computing, what's happening in the WordPress community, and dive into a few other things. Josh is an old friend of mine, so please stay tuned. This is a fun episode. Greetings, Hacker. Ever wonder how to submit stories to Hacker Noon or check the status of your submissions? Well, wonder no more. Go to contribute.hackernoon.com. Whether you're a new writer, longtime contributor, or looking for the right place to spotlight your brand, get started with contribute.hackernoon.com. With your help, we are building Hacker Noon 2.0 to be the best place for tech professionals to publish, and it starts with a new submission flow. Head over to contribute.hackernoon.com today to claim your spot. You are Hacker Noon. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Joshua Strubble from Pagely, and he's working on a new project called Norstack. Hey, Joshua, tell us a bit about who you are and what you're working on. Hey, Trent. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so 10 years ago, we invented a little thing called managed WordPress hosting. It's now a 2 to $3 billion industry, and we are the market-leading, bootstrapped, scrappy, punchy-in-the-face player in the space. <laughs> And I'm a rapper, apparently. What? A rapper? <laughs> I just noticed I rhymed. That was oh, all. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Pagely because you've been at this for a while. And as you said, you were pretty much one of the first in the space to really offer a managed solution. So can you kind of explain to the audience like what that means? Like what was hosting like before Pagely? Yeah. So uh, back in 2006, we built this little prototype that essentially... Uh, you landed on the home page and it showed some theme thumbnails and you clicked it, put in your credit card and out the other end came a WordPress site with that theme pre-chosen and pre-installed. And that was kind of this rudimentary website builder. And in 2009, we cleaned that all up, added some features, some uh, rudimentary caching, some rudimentary security stuff, plugin updates, automatic core updates. And we launched it as Pagely. And at that time, you know, geez, if you remember 2009, it was all generic hosting. It was, you know, GoDaddy, Server Planet, Server Beach, whatever. <laughs> and just really kind of like get in there on the command line and do it yourself or you pay GoDaddy five bucks a month for cPanel or something. And sadly, it's still kind of the same way in a lot of places, right? <laughs> Ten years later. So we had this idea that WordPress should be easier. It should be better. It was getting some traction as a CMS. It was starting to gain some market share. And we just thought it should be a whole lot easier for the end user to run a WordPress site without having to know the technical details of hosting a WordPress site. So that was kind of where Pagely came from. And we had that market all to ourselves for about a year and a half. And then our first competitor came and then another one and another one and another one. Now there's 
30 or so operations out there. All of them have taken, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in funding combined to compete with us. Yeah. I think Pantheon just, you know, at the time of recording this, this week had just raised like 40 million or something like that. Yeah. They're series D. So I think they're up to a hundred and uh, WP engine's got like 290 million or something. Wow. So this little idea that I came up with in our bedroom, uh, <laughs> in my bedroom in Phoenix is now worth a lot of money and it's a very big space. Well, and you've, you've done well and because you bootstrapped and didn't take investment money, you know, you've been able to kind of be in control of your own destiny. It certainly leaves all the doors open to us still, you know, cause once you open a specific door and walk through it, it kind of cuts off the options behind you. So we still have every door in front of us and it's allowed us to certainly run the type of company we want with the products that we want serving the markets that we want and not be beholden to uh, quarterly returns or investor meetings or whatnot. But it's also been harder, you know, uh, under this shirt, there's, you know, some, some scars because it's tough out there. <laughs> I, should, I should probably disclose you used to host my website um, when I was running my, uh, my startup and, uh, and I was in the WordPress space. Uh, you know, you had to save me from one of these other hosting companies at one point. Um, so, you know, it, there's definitely, uh, you know, I've experienced the value of, uh, of working with you and your team before. So um, I appreciate that. You, Thanks. Can you talk about like the fact that, uh, you know, one of the things that I've always liked about Pagely versus some of the other hosting companies is that other hosting companies will build a solution and then they just kind of like pause it in time and like, don't touch it. And like, they just let it run you and your team are like constantly looking at the latest and greatest tech and kind of pushing things forward. What like enables you guys to, to do that while your competitors don't? Most all of our competitors, I would say are sales and marketing companies. Mm -hmm. They're technology companies, second, third or fourth down the list. Right? So they saw an opportunity. They saw a market opportunity. They jumped on it. They built a product. Some of them did something novel. Most of them just copied the other guys. And then they become a sales and marketing organization where their job is then to just grow market share. And all this funding that these, co these companies are raising, it's all earmarked for marketing. Marketing's growth, marketing growth. Very little of it gets funneled back into uh, reinvesting in a product and making it better. So we've always had to be forward thinking because up against these 800 pound gorillas, if we weren't, we'd die, right? Because I can't afford a, uh, a Super Bowl commercial. I can't afford to sponsor every single conference and give out thousands of t-shirts. I can't afford to saturate the web with banner ads and pay-per-click. So in order to build a customer base without having those avenues available to me, we had to be creative, we had to be smarter, we had to be more specific, more defined, and we had to be relevant most of all. And that means building a quality product and reiterating and reinvesting in it to keep it relevant and keep it useful to our clients. And can you, are you allowed to name a couple of those clients just so that the audience has some context of, you know, some of the sites that you guys are hosting? Yeah. So, um, we're, it, if you, if you think of a pyramid, as the market, right? We're at the very top of the market. And that, that was a change we made about five years ago where we started positioning away from we're as good as everybody at everything to, you know what, we're really good at doing just this market segment, this really complex stuff at the top. 
So over the last five or six years, our client list has essentially turned over from a lot of mom and pops and, you know, $100 sites to now five, ten, twenty thousand $20,000 a month sites for Disney, Comcast, Visa, uh, New York University, Northeastern University, Univision Television, uh, Warner Brothers Movies, you name it, you know, kind of the, the biggest household brands. Our tagline is essentially we help big brands scale WordPress. So it's our, our little mission over 10 years has worked. You know, we, we have the best clients that pay us a, a good rate to do the uh, quality of work that we want to do for them. Awesome. And can you talk about the transition that you made from, you know, into cloud? Because now you're working more on the cloud side of things and you, you know, even with your, with your original hosting, you know, you've, you made some transition over time to that as well. Yeah. What, what did I mention? Like server beach or something that yeah. I think we started there, you know, really? ten, 10 years ago, I think I had a couple dedicated boxes at server beach or, and then they got purchased by the planet or vice versa or something. And then we, we moved in kind of um, uh, hybrid cloud or colo facility with a company called Firehost, and they were, they were really good. I, I'm a big fan of the CEO at Firehost. He helped us out quite a bit as we were growing. But about six years ago, we made the switch to go all to Amazon. And, you know, there was other choices. There were, there were not as many choices back then, but there's still there's more choices now. But we've elected to stay with Amazon because with our clientele, they're – asking and paying for the best. And so we feel like Amazon delivers that for us. You know, they have the widest breadth of services available. They have the widest breadth of regions available. And, you know, they've just been on it for so long. They're two thirds, you know, five eighths further ahead than any of their competitors. So we feel comfortable staying with Amazon for the foreseeable future. They're dang expensive though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Greetings, hacker. Ever wonder how to submit stories to Hacker Noon or check the status of your submissions? Well, wonder no more. Go to contribute.hackernoon.com. Whether you're a new writer, longtime contributor, or looking for the right place to spotlight your brand, get started with contribute.hackernoon.com. With your help, we are building Hacker Noon 2.0 to be the best place for tech professionals to publish, and it starts with a new submission flow. Head over to contribute.hackernoon.com today to claim your spot. You are Hacker Noon. I don't know what the numbers are now, but I, I mean, last time I looked, they were in the 80% market share range. Yeah. Um, it's, it's significant. Uh, at the same time, you know, now you have Microsoft in the space, you've got Google in the space. Um, you're seeing more cloud providers coming to the table uh, and IBM and others, you know, starting to offer similar or competitive services. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of them are more expensive and some of them are a little bit cheaper. It just depends on the service and the company. Yeah how they structure their pricing. Google, uh, Google Cloud is really aggressive right now trying to uh, enroll customers. I get probably an email a month from them saying, <laughs> you know, we'll save, we'll shave 40% off your Amazon bills. We'll, and, or, All your competitors have switched. Why haven't you switched? Come on, you'll save money at Google <laughs> Cloud. And it's like, okay, that's cool, but you offer like eight things. Amazon has 150 things I can build products with, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's, it's, more, it's more than just compute power and bandwidth at the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, now there's, now there's a lot of new stuff happening. So, you know, now we've got Kubernetes, we've got Docker, we've got container technology, there's serverless, like the, mm -hmm. the game has changed. Like if you're focused on DevOps or developer operations and you're interested in IT in the space, like 
I mean, this is the most exciting time we've probably seen in a decade. Um, the amount of tools that are available are insane now. Yeah, what, what you know, how, what, I'm just tripping over my own words. What's the history of the internet, right? Dedicated servers for 15 years, then VPSs for 10 years. And then like in the last four, you got like three or four container solutions and now serverless. So it's like these, these time frames, these, these eras are shortening and condensing and getting quicker and quicker and quicker. Yep. So what's, what's next? Um, what was it from the Silicon Valley uh, TV show? It's like distributed computing across everybody's phone. Like you only need like 128 megs on everybody's phone. Yeah. Edge computing is going to be a thing. And I mean, you know, that's the joke is, you know, we are carrying around supercomputers in our pockets. Um, you know, it, it's the amount of compute power that is in our pocket is insane. Mm. I mean, when I was a kid and I had an iMac, like 400 megahertz processor, like, you know, a 12 gigabyte hard drive, like 12 gigs. Okay. Like my, what, I don't even know what the iPhone has now. It's quad core processor. Yeah. Like, I've got 512 of storage of gigs of storage on an yeah. iPhone that I'm carrying in my pocket. Like it's just stupid now. I'm um, going to, I'm going to have to show my age. Our, our household okay. first computer was a, a PC clone. It was an 8086 processor. I think it was like six megahertz. <laughs> it, it used five and a quarter floppies. And I think my mom saved up to buy a 20 meg hard drive, which is like, <laughs> It was like $400 for a 20 meg hard drive or something. It's ridiculous. My first computer was a Mac SE. So I, yeah. I, I'm dating myself a little bit here as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, we've just come so far. And now, I mean, now the cloud, I mean, what it really is, is, you know, there, there's that joke that, you know, if you're using the cloud, you're just using someone else's computer. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the end of the day, like someone else's computer, these I mean, these cloud networks are massive. Yeah. We've never in human history had access to anything like this before. Yeah, it's, it's exciting to see where it goes. You know, we're kind of, uh, we're that generation, I think, you know, that kind of Gen X generation that saw it before and has seen it transition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in another 10 years, people won't remember what it used to be like because the new will be just so ubiquitous. You know, it'll just, oh, wasn't it always this way? No, oh, bro, I used to have to plug servers in and stuff <laughs> and run cables. It was crazy. <laughs> Can you uh, tell us a little bit about what you're working on now with your latest project, uh, Northstack? Right. Yeah. So Northstack is what we're calling managed serverless application hosting. So with Pagely, we do managed WordPress, and that's primarily built on VPSs or EC2 instances at Amazon. And our clientele at Pagely you know, like I said, these big customers, they want these isolated kind of, I don't want to share services with anybody type setups. So the EC2 model works for them. You know, every customer gets one or many EC2 instances and away we go. And we were asking ourselves, because of containerization, because of serverless, because of edge computing, where does Pagely as a company need to be in five years to be relevant? And so what we came up with is something we're calling Norstat. And so rather than being constrained on EC2 instances, it's now using Docker containers um, spread across ECS in Amazon. So we're using uh, HashiCorp, Terraform, and ECS to spin up these huge grid, uh, mesh networks of Docker containers. 
And then we're using Amazon's Aurora serverless as a database backend. And we're pricing everything on a consumption pay for what you use model. So we're, we're timing PHP processes from when they turn on to when they turn off and charging you a fraction of a penny for a PHP process time period. And same thing for database queries, you know, so the time it goes to the database, the compute, the time it comes back and then it turns off, we're only charging you for that. So we're looking at kind of develop or pushing out a pay for what you use developer kind of centric uh, application hosting. And rather than just WordPress, it'll do WordPress, Laravel, Node, static sites, you know, because these are essentially just config files inside of the um, Docker containers. And then there's built-in dev staging production workflows. We're looking at GitHub Actions so they can do deployment on GitHub pushes. So we're really excited about this. We, we announced it in, I think it was November, and we're next week or so, we're about to release our first 20 or 30 golden tickets. We've had about 10 people in not the, sure when this will air, so it might be ready by the time this airs. So yeah, this is what it's March seventh. So sometime around mid March, we uh, we should we should hopefully have our golden tickets out. So we've been in kind of a private beta right now, breaking a lot of things, rebuilding. You know, mm-hmm. the nice thing about infra- infrastructure is code is every three days we can just scrap it and build the whole thing back up. You know, when we want to fix something or try something different, and there's been about a dozen users throughout this time who've been patient with us while we break things and, and throw things out and try again. So we've moved everything over to our production nodes now. And so next week we're ready to actually like, okay, you can use it and it'll stay there. Like it's got some permanence. We're not just going to destroy it in a week from now. <laughs> we're, we're really excited about it because we feel like we're pagely, as I said earlier, to survive as a company, we had to focus on that very top of that market value, right? Mm-hmm. Those big customers willing to pay big bucks that could give us the margin to, to do the work that we want to do. We're excited about Northstack because, you know, the average site might be $5 a month. It might be $100 a month. It might be pennies a month. It just kind of depends what sort of workloads you're doing. It's very, it's much more agnostic. Mm-hmm. Based on your workload. So rather than having to fit in some plan, like you get five sites and 10 gigabytes of this and, you know, four cores and whatever for 50 bucks, it's, it's like, um, like you're talking about a little bit about edge computing. It's just a bunch of streams of resources and your site just goes in and grabs whatever it needs. Oh, I need compute power. I need bandwidth. I need some CDN. Oh, I got to make some database connection now. Oh, I need to expand my file system. And so whatever application you're choosing to run on Northstack, you can just reach in, grab what you need, and you only pay for it when you use it. So if, if you have spiky traffic on Tuesday when your newsletter goes out, you might spend 50 bucks on Tuesday, but you might spend $3 for the rest of the days, you know, just to keep the thing active. So we're pretty excited about it. It's new. It's different. It, it's hard. You know, it's taken yeah. us a long time to kind of do these things, but we're, we're pretty excited because it's going to open up a new market for us. Yeah. So Pagely will stay as that kind of enterprise-focused, bespoke, very hands-on solution. Northstack is going to, in the early days especially, it's going to be kind of developer-focused, doc-driven, self-service, you know, all command line. You just spin up your, your terminal, a couple Git commands, a couple Northstack commands, boom, your site's out the door being served across the world. Yeah, and I was going to say that's kind of your pivot, is you're, you're, you're pivoting to developers. You're building a developer platform, essentially, um, to be able to do what they're already doing, but do it simpler 
and easier. And with a pricing plan and, you know, structure around that, that is basically, it's what you eat. You only pay for what you eat. Um, yeah, the, uh, the, the trick I think is most developers will always tell you, I can do this myself, hmm. right? I have people come to me with Pagely and say, oh, I could host WordPress myself. Yeah, sure you can, but I know everybody can do it. But is that the best way to spend your time? Should you be doing this? How yeah. about the, you know, the 10 years of learning that we have on how to do WordPress right? Go ahead, hit your head against the wall, try to figure all those secrets out. So with Norstack, it's the same thing. Yes, you can spin up your Docker containers. Yes, you can glue a bunch of services together and kind of make this sort of thing yourself. But do you need to? No, <laughs> because I can get you 95% of the way to your production site with like three keystrokes. You know, yeah. that's our pitch basically to the developer market. Awesome. Well, I wanted to get your opinion on the WordPress community. Um, <laughs> so you and I have had a number of talks over the years about this. Um, and, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm running a podcast and, uh, you know, I, I feel like we gotta, we gotta tackle this subject. Um, you know, the best we can here, you know, for whatever time we've got available, but, uh, you know, there's a, this is a strange community. Like, I was trying to explain it to someone else recently and it's, it's, it reminds me kind of like of Apple, like in the nineties, like it's kind of like kind of a cult. Yeah. Feel to it. Um, it's not quite like other developer communities. It's not quite like other software platforms. WordPress has its own kind of politics and its own kind of unique. I don't know even know how to describe it. It's uh it's just a very unique community and decisions get made in a very obtuse way. Yeah. Um, do you have any kind of thoughts on, you know, what, what we've seen recently with WordPress with Gutenberg and like where you think it's going? Is it heading in the right direction? Um, so on the specific topic of Gutenberg, I think separate from what Gutenberg is, the idea is absolutely necessary. WordPress needs to modernize. It needs to do something better. If it's going to stay relevant, it's got to clean up its dirty its uh, dirty laundry, right? There's Whether a lot of technical debt. Oh, so much. I mean, companies like me and this $2 billion channel doesn't exist or wouldn't exist if WordPress had its shit together. Yeah. Right. But uh, so the, the idea of modernizing WordPress, very important. The way it went down with Gutenberg, oh my God, I have not seen a shit show like this since, uh, you know, the last time somebody tried to get peace in the Middle East, you know? <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it was so overhand, overhanded, kind of just muggled the whole thing. It was kind of a mess. Um, rushed into court, the reasonings changed every two weeks, why it was so important. But if you oh, start back schedule, that was... Yeah. Oh. If you step back and look at it from 10,000 feet, you have this massive open source community and this, this volunteer workforce, basically. Mm. And, you, and you have Matt and Automatic, who kind of sit at the top as the, at the, in the throne overlooking this crowd of volunteer labor. And he still has a lot of sway, for better or worse, and I don't necessarily ascribe malicious intent to anybody. I don't, I don't know what's going on in his head, so I won't give him the benefit of the doubt. 
or I won't put words in his mouth is what I'm trying to say. But holy shit, who stands to benefit the most when you get a bunch of unpaid workers all marching in one direction, doing shit a certain way at the direction of a certain person? Mm -hmm. Automatic. So if you look at Jetpack, if you look at Gutenberg, if you look at a few other things, they're just consolidating their, their influence and getting product to turn around and sell and make money off of, right? And it's, it's a perfect business case. Like, could you blame them? Or if, if that is what is happening, yeah. you can't blame them because you'd all do it. We would all do it. If you had 33% of the net and thousands of unpaid developers and you could say, build X and they built X and then you've got to integrate X and charge Y for it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I you mean, that's, I, I mean, yeah, from the 10,000 foot view, I, I, I definitely agree with you. That's kind of what's happening here. And I mean, it, it's, it, you know, I've probably oversimplified it in the way I think about it is it, it's fascinating because it's almost like this weird hybrid of like a socialist system and also then capitalist system and they're kind of like meshed together because mm -hmm. I would argue the open source community is to some degree had, you know, shares that more of a socialist perspective about why they're contributing, how they contribute and what it means to contribute to an open source project. At the same time, you know, there's capitalists in this space that are the ones who are making the money. And there are companies like your company that, you know, have been very profitable that have, you know, as you said, the two, $3 billion industry. So, you know, you have kind of these two ideologies, like just yeah. constantly butting heads, but then you have one organization and one person who's kind of at the top, but not quite, but kind of is, um, that, you know, is making a lot of those decisions. And I mean, for me, it was, it was a struggle to watch, some of the decisions that were made and how they got made. So the release schedule was, you know, releasing it right like in the middle of the major WordPress conference that was happening when all the developers, I think it was a travel day. So this yeah. was the day when everyone's traveling. So everyone's on a plane and not online. Um, so you've got all the most powerful people in the entire community who are not available to fix a problem. If a problem presents itself in the middle of probably you know, one of the largest updates to WordPress in the last, you know, five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, strategically, that was probably not a good idea. Um, <laughs> and then it was also right before the holidays, which is also strategically not a great idea because uh -huh. I mean, I, I personally on a project I've been working on, I had to instruct my team, like we're dealing with this after the holidays and uh -huh. didn't push updates until after the holidays. And we wanted to wait and see what happened before we reacted because we didn't know what was going to happen. And ultimately it wasn't that big a deal. We had a couple problems, a couple things we had to yeah. go through. But like the fact that that was put out at that moment in that time in that way was just strategically bad decision-making. I don't know how else to put it. Well, and so the thing is, is there's no, there's not a lot of insight into the decisions like that like you you can be the judge whether the the actual decision was good or bad whatever right yeah. but there's no transparency on how somebody arrived to that decision and that's what i think is frustrating to you mostly and it's yes. frustrating to me because 
whatever. It's, I don't care. It's not my ecosystem. Like I didn't create the WordPress ecosystem. I'm just a part of it like everybody else. So whatever happens, happens, and I just have to roll with it. But it'd be nice to get some transparency into how these decisions came about. Exactly. So, you know, what What's the reasoning? Like, because I think that is, like you said, the socialist side of it. Oh yeah, we'll all contribute code. We'll all open source. Rah rah rah. It's all big community. But then we should all be privy to the decisions that affect the community. And that right. I, I don't think we're always privy to those decisions. And it's funny. Um, we did the same thing at Pagely. You know, we we managed tens of thousands of sites and we didn't update. And I don't think, I think we just started updating after 5.1, like a week ago. Yeah. So, so we've been doing security patches on the 4.9 branch, but we haven't pushed any of the 5 branch until this week. Uh, and I mean, if, if you're running anything with a custom post type, if you're running anything that relies on, you know, a lot of the core infrastructure of WordPress that people have been building customizations on for, you know, 10 plus years, mm -hmm. that goes out the window with, you know, 5.0 plus. So it, uh, again, though, I think it's necessary. At some point, somebody was going to have to break it and go forward. And I just, yeah, why, why around Thanksgiving? No, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> why around Thanksgiving in between Christmas? Yeah, yeah the dates the time it was poorly executed, but I, I fully agree with you. It's a hundred percent necessary. I would argue it's almost too late. Um, yeah. I feel like this should have been, this should have been done a long time ago. Uh, and I think they, I, I, I personally think they approached it backwards. I think they should have fixed the front end editor first, um, and created a parallel path to using WordPress that would have allowed people to use the back end the way they were used to and then create uh, a better solution that was on the front end. This was one of the unique times when I think you could do this with a product because typically when you're building an app, you either build the back end and the front end together at the same time, or you build the back end then the front end. This, in this use case, in this particular instance, had you built a better front end that became competitive with the back end so that you didn't need the back end anymore, problem yeah. solved, there's your next version of WordPress. You could have just sunset the back end and, and it's, it'd still be there for anybody that wanted it, but you would just sunset it and you forget about it because the front end, which is better, would take over, yeah. Exactly, so that was my thought process going into this, and now they're doing that. Now <laughs> the next version of Gutenberg, the next evolution is for them to fix the front end and bring oh, the block man. editor and all that, all the new stuff that's in the new back end, they wanna bring that to the front end and create a better front end editor. Well, it's like if you're gonna go through that process, why didn't you go through that process in the front end first? Yeah. Fix the front end, then depreciate the older back end, and then people will just naturally, and users will naturally gravitate towards the new front end. Yeah. I, I, what you said about it being too late, I think you're right. Um, it's not too late, but it, it, it came so late that it was detriment to WordPress and uh, the market share, because I, I honestly think even though the Web3 numbers or whatever still keep growing, WordPress is now 33.3% of the internet or whatever. I think peak WordPress was about 18 months ago, about 15 months ago. That was, you know, people just aren't as excited to yeah. go build on WordPress anymore. And that was 18 months ago, I think that happened, not when Gutenberg launched. So yeah. part of the reason why we looked at Northstack was how do we get out of this WordPress box? 
You know, mm -hmm. Pagely will always do these amazing things with WordPress, but how do we get out of this? Especially if in 10 years there's declining market share in WordPress. Yep. And that's, that's why we opened up Node and Laravel and, and uh, static sites and trying to look forward on what's the next iteration of the web in general, of publishing on the web, and how can we get there? Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. Well, and I mean, there's so many new technologies. You've got, you know, you've got machine learning. You've got uh, AI that's coming about. I mean, you can throw a bot in a Docker container and sell that as a service. That's yeah. You can do that today. The tech is there now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's so many different applications and so many different use cases and different new tech stacks and, you know, new server, you know, and database methodologies. I mean, half of the interviews I'm doing on Hacker Noon are crypto related. Everything is about blockchain. Blockchain is a database technology. Mm -hmm. Like decentralized databases are here. They're real. It's happening. Um, so, you know, we're going to see more and more blockchain services and products and we're going to start seeing them integrated with AI and we're going to start seeing them integrated with older applications even just mm -hmm. to even be able to do new things with those older applications. And then in some cases, you know, I think WordPress, for example, is going to become a legacy app. Um, it's, it's in danger of being that in a few years. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, you talk about AI and specifically uh, around content publishing. Mm -hmm. There's those crazy algorithms now that you can give it like a sentence and a closing and it'll write a thousand words in between yeah. and it'll be on point. You're like, I couldn't have written this any better. <laughs> you know? Yes, that's, that's here. Um, so someone's got to host that somewhere. Um, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to is like, this is all living on someone's computer somewhere. Um, yeah. And you're, you're gonna have to host it. Uh, and it's, I mean, all of these apps, all these different use cases, all these things that we're seeing. I mean, in Silicon Valley, what I'm seeing is the, the trend is JavaScript. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? JavaScript was like the first of the web, like 1992 yeah. or something, right? <laughs> and then it was like, oh, JavaScript sites are stupid. And then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, let's just write everything in JavaScript. Again. <laughs> Again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's totally what happened. Um, you know, the browsers got better at processing JavaScript so that they could do all the things that we were promised in 1992. Because um, mm -hmm. we were promised all this stuff in the 90s, and then the tech just wasn't there. The hardware, the acceleration, the C it, it wasn't optimized. Now yeah. it's optimized and mostly because of mobile. Mobile was the major game changer and differentiator there. It was like, oh, I mean, when the iPhone first came out, Steve Jobs was pushing JavaScript apps as a way to interact with the first iPhone because they did not have an app store. They wow. were forced into building the app store because no one wanted to build JavaScript apps. Isn't that wild? But now... It's the opposite, and now that future that you know Steve and Steve Jobs and all those guys at Apple saw at that time period when they first released the iPhone is now what's happening in 2019. So isn't that wild? I think the client side rendering is really, really is a paradigm shift, like you mentioned, like WordPress being a legacy app, because WordPress lives on one server, one one cloud, and all everything happens there. It gets generated there. And then it just displays a static page that it gets consumed. 
Yep. But with a, if you reverse that, like there's a few key things living in the cloud, but all the content is rendered and generated right there on your device uh, on yep. the client side. <clears throat> it's pretty interesting, huh? It's like you've pushed it all to the edge. Yep. And like we said earlier, you know, these devices now are powerful. Um, they have more computing power than, I, I mean, the latest iPads are more powerful than the current MacBooks. Um, they, they have more processing power, they have more graphics capabilities uh, because of how Apple does their, uh, you know, their microprocessors for, you know, their mobile devices. So basically the iPad gets the latest whatever, you know, mobile processing chips first, then they figure out how to do the power consumption to bring it down to the iPhone. So mm. they've invested all of their energy and all their money in, you know, in mobile because they saw that that's where their, that's where their bread and butter is. So they're selling more iPhones than they do Macs. So it makes sense for them to invest in better CPUs for mobile. And now we've reached this weird point where now my iPad is faster than my MacBook. Yeah. What's going to happen though with um, uh, Apple's just saying that people aren't buying phones every year now? It's like three years or four years. Yeah. So are they still going to try to be as innovative, innovative, and get a new phone every year? Like, or they're going to say, "Ah, we'll just do the 10x again," and <laughs> you know, every third year we'll do the new model or something. You know, I was just talking to Christina Warren, a, another episode that's going to be probably out around the same time as this episode. She was an Apple beat reporter and we were just talking about this. Um, and, you know, Apple has to do something else. Um, it's going to be AR. It's going to be maybe VR. I don't think it's going to, I think AR will probably come next. Um, but it, they have to, they have to figure out what's next and they're going to have to figure out what their path forward is for the Mac and iOS. Yeah. And they might merge. Oh, no, I think that was just announced. I think the next version of I, uh, I, of OS will be iOS unified. I mean, we're a really fascinating time in, in you know in cloud computing and the serverless space. I mean, WordPress, man, it, I have like a love hate relationship with it. You know, I built my last business on it. Uh, you know, I've been working on other projects in it. You know, you've obviously built your companies around it. It's like. On one hand, you know, it's this amazing, powerful piece of technology. On the other hand, it's just like, why did they do certain things? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, why does the community make the decisions that it makes? And why does certain things go down the way that they've gone down in the past? And it's just like, it's such a struggle because you've got something that means so much to so many people and it's created, you know, so, so much prosperity in the world. Um, and, oh, man, like, it could do so much more. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at 33 or whatever, well, that's the other thing, is that metric, I don't buy it. Um, so yeah. how that metric is calculated, uh, just for, the, you know, people listening, so the metric that WordPress uses to calculate what percentage of the internet they are, I think it's based on, like, top 100,000 sites or something like that. So, top million or something, yeah. Yeah, or top million or whatever the number is doesn't really matter because the internet is this like giant massive thing and like to only look at even if it, you're looking at the top hundred million websites, you're barely looking at anything like you're that's like less than a percent, you know, I don't even think you're in double digits of what the internet is. So mm -hmm. 
you know, people don't think about it, but you know, when you search for something on Google, how many results do you get? Like it's in the yeah. trillions on some things. So there are potentially trillions of websites out there. So to only look at anything in the millions and then calculate metrics based on that, that's an inaccurate measure. It's uh, statistics, right? And um, you, it's the asterisk is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's, exactly. The, the asterisk is always important. Like I can say Pagely is the most successful and profitable company in the world, asterisk, limited to Tucson, Arizona, working <laughs> in the press space. Yeah. Founded by a guy named Josh. Yeah, of, exactly. of, the, of those companies, we're the most <laughs> Exactly. So, you know, it is what it is. So anyways, uh, you know, we've ragged on WordPress enough here. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've got to ask you, since this is a Hacker Noon podcast, what is some time in your life that you've had to hack something? Uh, oh, let's talk about iPhones. Um, <laughs> I think it was the iPhone 4. I jailbroke it so that I could get the app store, the, the secret app store, the, the dark web app store. Remember, yeah. what, what was it called? I, I can't remember, but you had oh, to jailbreak it. Cydia and... Yes, yes. You yeah. had to jailbreak it to get the illicit app store so that I could get one app, and that was Flux, which is the same thing as a Night Shift now, mm -hmm. right? But the, the blue screen on the phones drove me freaking batty. Like, I'm just so sensitive to these things. And so I, I, I found that, oh, wait, there's an app that you can put on your phone to change the color temperature to yellow, but you have to jailbreak it. Um, I was a criminal. I jailbroke <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I loved back in the day when you, had to, when you could jailbreak and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, now all these features are built directly into iOS. That's the joke um, is it's like they embraced almost all of those apps in the end. Yep. Well, think about it, right? Because it proves user demand. Oh, mm -hmm. people want this. People want uh, uh, color, temper color temperature shifting displays. They want X. They want Y. We'll let somebody else break it and figure it out, prove that there's a market, <laughs> and then we'll just incorporate it. I and mean, that's the standard big business model, right? Yep, for sure. But, you know, you had to uh, jailbreak your phone and uh, be an iPhone criminal first. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, on that note, was it Canada that just passed a law, the right to fix law or something? Because yeah. it's getting to the point where you can't even crack the seal on your laptop without, you know, violating some intellectual property. Yeah. Yeah. Even cars now, right? It's like, it's almost, if you Try own it. fixing a Tesla on your own. Yeah. <laughs> if you own it, though, you should be allowed to work on it. Whether, you, whether you're good at that or not, you should be allowed to. It's your problem. You should be allowed to break it if you want to. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely correct. So, and that's one of the core tenets of hacking is how do I break it? And then once I've broken it, can I put it back together? <laughs> yes. yes. That's how it works, man. So do you have any uh, final thoughts here before we wrap up? Um, I just want to say thanks, man. It's great to catch up with you. I don't think we've spoken in a couple of years. And, you yeah, know, you were in San Francisco a couple of years ago, and we, we talked then. Uh, so I appreciate you inviting me on, and I'm glad things are going well for you. And rah, rah, hacker news. <laughs> and, rah, rah, hacker noon. <laughs> and where can people find you? Uh, I'm Strebel on Twitter, and I usually just post silly memes of myself. 
<laughs> trying to mock the inspirational posts. Uh, I really, used to write a blog at saint-rebel.com, and our company is uh, pagely.com and northstack.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on the show and catching up with me. I appreciate it, Trent. Take care. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.